to try and figure out if you're Mike LaFleur what matchup you want. Where do you want to go with this ball to try and get it in the end zone or get a first down at the minimum? Two chances to get 10 for the Jets. Flacco over the middle. It's caught. Touchdown, Garrett Wilson. The Jets trying to pull a miracle comeback. 15-yard strike from Flacco. What a route. Ladies and gentlemen, if you did not know, Super Bowl, what is it, 58 coming up this year? What are we at, 57? 57. 57. You know what, 57, 58, I don't care. Guys, Super Bowl 57 or 58 just commenced in week two. I don't know if you guys knew that. But if you are watching the video version on YouTube and you look at my hat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we're not going to get into that just yet. What a week of football. And and I said it last week, Dan, for the opening weekend. And I'm going to say it again. This has been the two craziest week one and week two I, I've seen in ever, really. Because I feel like usually after the initial high of week one, I feel like we go through like a, a week two, week three kind of lull of like, okay, like teams are really getting into the swing of things. No, everyone is just on full throttle, 100% out of the gate. And this is so cool to see. But before you say anything, Dan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? <laughs> oh, I'm fucking on top of the world. I don't know about you. I'm excited. But... I'm excited. And I got to say, the games, at least the, well, really the one o'clock and the four o'clock games went down just like you talked about last week. The first two hours of those games, do you think, all right, yeah. you know, nothing crazy going on here at about three fifteen or, you know, six thirty, depending on the time, the time slot chaos starts all over, all over the league in Cleveland, in Baltimore, in, uh, in Vegas. Oh my God. And, um, Detroit, Detroit. I mean, yeah. That was like the best bad game of the of 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 well, I mean the best bad game of the week was Cleveland and, and New York, but I, I there's just so much to dive into. But before you know we get into that, we want to kind of talk about our weekend, our week. We want to build the suspense up into the you know the inevitable reactions from all of these games. So Dan, did you have anything interesting going on this week? Uh I, I didn't. <laughs> Nothing too, nothing too interesting. I enjoyed my my day watching football. Uh, I, I this is kind of deviating off course, but if we're going to dive into football, I want to get something non-football out of the way first, and that is Aaron Judge having fifty nine home runs. Yes, we can talk about that runs. for a couple minutes. Two and a half Absolutely. weeks left. That's unbelievable. Uh, I I think he's going to get sixty five. Honest, honestly, he's on pace for it. I mean, he uh, should six home runs in two and a half weeks. They're about to play. Uh, I think a, a pretty long homestand at Yankee Stadium. Actually, not a long homestand at Yankee Stadium, but they have a bunch of Yankee Stadium games left. So let me let me ask you this. I was trying to I was trying to figure this out before. So are we going off of the sixty one home runs being the record still, or are we going like what are we going off? Because I know that there's an asterisk next to like, you know. Sosa and, and McGuire and, and Bonds. So, like, are are we looking at a scenario where you could say, you could say that Aaron Judge is the natty king of home runs? Is that what we're talking about now? If he gets sixty two, I, I think a lot of people are going to say it. I mean, what I what I it's the AL record, like the official American League record. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess you could say it's the AL record with uh, some extra flair, you know, because it's it's not. Listen, what Aaron Judge came out and said was, I believe Aaron Judge said it that Bonds hit seventy three. Whether you know whether if you don't like how he did it, that's that's fine, and you shouldn't yeah, like how he which did I it. agree with that. Uh, but seventy three balls went out of the stadium, and that's the record. At least that, at least in his view, uh, that's the way it is. Uh, but that I, I think that doesn't take away from the the record that sixty one or well really sixty two would be. I mean, it's it, you can call it the non steroid record. Yeah, uh, for that's... home runs in the season, and I think that carries a ton of weight. It's unfortunate that it's not going to be the official record, but uh, I think in a lot of people's minds, they're going to consider him the single season home run king. Well, we already know the old heads are going to consider it the you know the ones like like I, I'm speaking of old heads like my father who saw Roger Maris basically hit like those. I mean, he was young, but like saw him hit the 60 home runs or 61 home runs, whatever it may be, and all that. So he's like, yeah, Aaron Judge is going to be the king of the home runs. So I'm like, all right, whatever. But, um, I mean, this, if we're talking about Aaron Judge now, we have to say that this has to be one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen offensively. I mean, he even broke a, I mean, he didn't break a record, but today, what was it? I saw, um, I forgot who, who posted the tweet, but they said that Aaron Judge becomes the first player in StatCast history to hit like five balls in one game over 110 miles per hour. Like, that seems like something that no one would care about until you hear it. And then you're like, dude, he hit the ball 110 miles per hour five times in one game. There are some people that in their whole career haven't hit a ball 110 right. miles per hour five times. And he did it five times in one game. I mean, that's just scratching the surface of how tremendous this season has been. And uh, I, I mean, what's his war? His war, I, last time I checked, it was nine. Yesterday it was nine point nine. So he had four hits today and two home runs. He's going to be a ten WAR guy, which is, you know, for those who don't know, like that's considered uh, historic. Basically, I yeah. think it's only happened um, in this century. It's been either steroid guys, uh, so ten WAR season, steroid guys, Buster Posey in two thousand twelve, he won MVP. That's uh, Mike, wild, by the way. Mike Trout in two thousand twelve when he was a rookie. Didn't win MVP. Crazy. <laughs> uh, and then Mookie Betts did it in 2018 when he when the Red Sox won the World Series and he was MVP. So ten. And if you go back to 1990, uh, I think besides steroid guys, it's only like Ricky Henderson and uh, Cal Ripken Jr. who did it in a season. So it's ten war season is like the very best of the best. It's the the best seasons of the Hall of Fame caliber players. That's what he's having right now. And if I can drop one more stat for us, please do. Uh, I, OPS plus, which is another metric, you know, how exactly is it calculated? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, a 200 OPS plus this century has only been achieved by Barry Bonds four times during his, during his steroid era uh, and Aaron Judge. It's not official. Aaron, the season isn't over. But with, uh, with every day that passes, when Aaron Judge gets two, three, four hits or hits two home runs, he solidifies that he's probably going to finish with an OPS plus over 200. So you could say... He's having the best offensive season um, of any player who hasn't used steroids this century. That's honestly crazy. And I feel like it's so unfortunate that like the end of the baseball season coincides with the start of football season, because I feel like we're, we're not really grasping how historic this season has been. I mean, yeah, we thought that his, what was that? His rookie year, his official rookie year where he hit 53, 52. 52. I mean, we thought that that was basically the best or, 
or what we were going to see. Like that was his ceiling of what we were going to get. And that's incredible in its own right. But now you look at the fact that he's on pace for mid sixties and home runs. I mean, that is, and, and over 300, well over 300 leading the league in RBIs runs everything. I mean, if you look at the stats across the board, he's leading in pretty much every offensive category that actually means something and contributes to wins. So if that's, if that's not the definition of MVP, I don't know what is. And the and kind of just to to bridge it because I feel like we have to say it if we're talking about an MVP race, if we're talking about Aaron Judge. It takes a season like this to beat what Shohei Otani is doing in right. in LA. And that, yep. And when I, I I brought up the OPS plus stat uh, on Twitter to talk about why this is not the same situation as Vlad Jr. last year. Vlad Jr.'s OPS plus, and he had a fantastic offensive season. Yeah, he did. His OPS plus is 167. Judge is at like, he was at 208 the other day. He's probably higher after That's today. Not, not similar. Aaron Judge might get to 60 <laughs> home runs before anybody else gets to 40. Because Schwarber is at 39. Crazy. And Judge is at 59. Oh, my God. That's absolutely insane. It really is, like, that's all I could really, that's really the only adjective that, you could describe it at is it, it's honestly egregious if you think about it. Like it's just like it it it, it doesn't even make sense. Like it, it's insulting to like to other teams how how well Aaron Judge is playing this year. And uh, I mean that's it, it's it's just incredible. Any adjective that you could think of that's positive that could describe it. And, and I, imagine like this happens. Like he has an historic season. The Yankees go into the postseason. And he bats like one hundred and like no yeah. home runs. Like. It's. It, I was. It, it could happen. I don't think more, it would be like Aaron though, Judge. They just won't pitch to him. Yeah. You know, somebody's. Some guys have got to step up if they want him to get pitched to in October. Yeah. But you know, we'll find out. Three weeks. Yes. Yeah. Bottom line: Aaron Judge is on another on another level, one hundred percent. And I mean, I guess if you want to talk about another level, we could talk about the quarterback matchup that was on Thursday Night Football this week. I mean, that was next level. You talk about. Basically, two of the most naturally talented passers in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And I know, like, I don't want to glorify Justin Herbert more than a lot of people have because is he fantastic? Absolutely. Is he a potential top five quarterback, if not a top five quarterback already? Probably. You know, and they did lose the game. So I don't want to glorify him that much more. But the fact that he played now, I guess it's confirmed that it's broken ribs, right? Broken rib cartilage. Yeah, so whatever that means. Bone. Whatever oh, that means might, sounds awful. To, it looks but... like he'll be able to play in uh, next week, a week from now against Jacksonville. So, and I mean, he made one of the prettiest throws I've ever seen with broken rib cartilage. I, that throw, I, I'm pretty sure it was to DeAndre Carter, right? It was, it was like a 30 yard throw over the middle between two defenders. It was like the craziest throw I've ever seen. I just talking, speaking from a natural talent perspective. That was an insane matchup, and I feel like this was the first time. I feel like this is really the first time we were able to see this on its own. Really, like I didn't. This matchup happened like once before last year, but this is really like now we've established that Justin Herbert is a, a generational quarterback talent. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is as good as they come. Now this has even more meaning now and beyond than it did before. So, uh, bad. Bad pick by Justin Herbert, you know, basically cost them the game. And I don't know if you saw what Emmanuel Acho said um, 
oh, well, now Justin Herbert over the last like two or three seasons leads the NFL in pick sixes. This cannot be ignored. And a bunch of people were like, no, nah, we're going to ignore it. It's yeah. completely fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, Gerald Everett was really the biggest reason for that pick six. I think yeah. they said he was trying to come out of the game. He was he was tired before that, which you know, I don't know if there's really an excuse for that. Uh, yeah. But he kind of gave up on it. The ball should have went to him. It looked like he had him, and he kind of gave up on the play. Yeah, we do not need to talk about – we do not need to have a conversation about Justin Herbert's pick sixes. I mean, Matthew Stafford has thrown – I think what he had two more today. He's thrown like 22 interceptions in his last 17 or 18 games. You know, the fact that most of them don't get run back, but Herbert's do, like that's – you know, that, that's kind of more of a coincidence than a, than a problem. Yeah, and um... – just if you guys are keeping score, obviously we're going to go in order of the pick them that we do run. Like I said, still still open. It'll be open all season, even if you want to, you know, jump in in week 18. That would be a little crazy, if it, it, to be honest with you. But it's still open. You guys are more than welcome to go. ASN podcast, um, pick them group on ESPN fantasy app. So I did pick the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know who you picked on that one. I picked the Chiefs. All right, so we're both starting off one and no. This is a great. This is a good start, Dan. This is a good start. But uh, you know, before we move on to the next game, which is the greatest game in history of the world, uh, you know, the Chiefs look good. I mean, Patrick Mahomes just continues to show that it wasn't just Tyreek Hill making Patrick Mahomes, and also on the flip side, Tyreek Hill is also proving that it wasn't Patrick Mahomes that made him. But that's a conversation for later on in the in the night. But Patrick Mahomes just uh, – he's on another level, dude. It, it's just – he's just – it's Patrick Mahomes and then everyone else, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think this game proved that the Chiefs are not unbeatable. They're not unbeatable by any means. The Chargers could have beaten them in Arrowhead. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there were mistakes made, and the Chiefs prevailed because they they might have the better team. They're almost certainly the better coach team. Yeah. Uh, and they have Patrick Mahomes, which, of course, is is a, a big help. He, I think he – what now? He's thrown uh, – in his career in September, Mahomes has 48 touchdown passes and three interceptions. So it's it's pretty hard to beat that. But the Chargers could have done it. I think they, they can go into their next matchup, their home matchup with the Chiefs. I don't even know when that is. They can go into it with some confidence and with some pointers of things they could do better. Um, I think the, the coaching was very interesting because Brandon Staley, uh, he – did not go for it very much, which last year he got a lot of criticism for being too aggressive yeah, uh, and a lot of rightful criticism because it, it, late in the season it cost them uh, in two games that ended up in overtime. That probably shouldn't have. Uh, this time I think he punted um, on, on fourth and four or shorter. He punted five of seven times. And last year they went for it something like 55% of the time uh, in that situation. So he played a little more conservatively than usual. I don't hate it. A couple of them are questionable. I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just an interesting kind of turn of events that he went from this ultra aggressive coach. And even when mistakes were made, he said, look, I'm not apologizing for it. This is our mentality. We're going to stay aggressive. Uh, then he kind of flip-flopped on it this time around. Maybe that means he's showing a lot of confidence in his defense. You know, he didn't have Khalil Mack last year, which is rightfully so. I mean, no JC Jackson last year and the defense actually played pretty well. Yeah, if well, except for, except for J.C. Jackson getting burnt toast by someone I've never heard of before. <laughs> right, but if you but if you have a, if you don't have a Asante Samuel miss a couple of those interceptions, um, and I'm not saying it's bad that he missed them. I'm saying he it's good that he put himself in position to get them. Yeah, you've just got to hold on to it. Uh, this game could have been a lot different. I mean, they only allowed 20 points of offense. Seven came from the pick six. So, yeah. you know, I, I give the Chargers defense some credit. Yeah, this seems like just a classic 
divisional matchup where the basically what separates the two teams is who's home. Yeah. Because I feel yeah. like because I feel like I picked the Chiefs solely on the fact that they were at Arrowhead. And I feel like the next time that this matchup comes around, I'm gonna pick the Chargers solely because they're gonna be at home. Like I I I wanna say that and I, I think it's I think it holds it holds true as well that I think that the Chargers have definitely closed the gap on the talent separation that they had between them and Casey. I think it's as close as it's ever been. Um it's just that Patrick Mahomes elevates that talent level like tenfold. So right. uh I, I think that this is gonna be a great matchup to watch not only the next time it comes around for the next X amount of years. Uh, it's it's you, you kind of just have the feel that that was already a playoff esque atmosphere and it's week two because I really do believe, especially from what we've seen from the other two teams in the division, especially this week, that you got to feel like these are the clear cut best two teams in the division. Yeah, I think so. I'm not, uh, we'll, we'll get to the Raiders later, but oh, safe boy. to say I'm, I'm not believing that the Raiders are more the Broncos are up there with these two just yet. Yeah. Uh, but um, now I could finally, I could finally get excited because the next game that's on the slate for our pick'em is the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns, and I, I just I, I'm going to be talking with a smile on my face the entire time because I, you know, you know, you know what made this so much better for me, Dan. And I think you'll agree with this is how well the rookies played, especially on offense. The fact that Garrett Wilson, eight catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns, was basically open on every single play. He did have a drop. You know, there was a couple missed throws by Joe Flacco as well. Could have easily ended up with like 11 or 12 catches, honestly. They, they had no answer for him on the defensive side. And on the flip side, the Jets really had no answer for the running attack. But there are a few teams that have an answer for the Browns rushing attack. I mean, Nick Chubb, 87 yards, three touchdowns. And then when Nick Chubb isn't in the game, you have to deal with Kareem Hunt, who is probably, I mean, from the look of it, I know it's the Jets defense, but it has to be one of the top five hardest guys to tackle in the NFL. I mean, my friend summed it up perfectly when he texted me. He was like, if Kareem Hunt was running towards me, I'd run the opposite direction. <laughs> He's like, I'd run with him. I, he just looks like a very scary individual to even try and tackle. But I, I mean... Before we even talk about how the Jets, you know, miraculously came back, you got to think that that Nick Chubb touchdown was is just completely. I don't want to say uncalled for, but that's not smart clock management, and that's not that's not game awareness on Nick Chubb's part either. And I'm surprised by that because I think Nick Chubb is a smarter football player than that. Yeah, it was a mistake, and and Kevin Stefanski took blame for it and said um, that that. It's on him to communicate to everybody that holding on to the ball is better than scoring a touchdown. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, you go up 13 against the Jets with two minutes left. Uh, like nobody, nobody even was thinking about this as being a mistake until the Jets completed the onside kick. Mm -hmm. You go up by two scores against the Jets with two minutes left. This is not supposed to happen. I understand you got to take every precaution, uh, but they have a lot bigger issues uh, than just that. Or at least they had a lot bigger issues in the final two minutes of the game. Uh, but I'm with you. I think if you're if you're rooting for the Jets, which in this case both of us are, uh, what you have to be excited about the most is Garrett Wilson. He looked like a legitimate number one receiver today. You mentioned he could have had 11 or 12 catches. He was targeted 14 times. No other wide receiver was targeted more than five times. Tyler Conklin mm -hmm. was targeted nine. Tyler Conklin receiver. has hands of uh, of stone. 
How many drop passes did he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he had six catches. The other three were on yeah. target. And I'm pretty sure he dropped the other three. It's a little little bit of a mystery why he's being targeted that much. But uh, the <laughs> fact that that Garrett Wilson was trusted so much, especially after only four catches last week, tells you there was kind of a – I think there was a directive to get him involved, more involved in the offense. That was very clearly a mission this week to make him well, a centerpiece of the offense. It had to be blowback from the Jet fans – saying, hey, every time that Garrett Wilson was on the field in week one, something explosive happened. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's he's open, whether he's getting the ball. I mean, his first career catch was a nine-yard catch, and he broke three tackles. You know you know what I'm saying? Like, that is that is crazy. And I know Michael Fior has this thing where, you know, it, it, this, is, this was turning into a similar situation as the Denzel Mims debacle, where it's, hey, Denzel, you don't know all your player assignments and you don't know every single play in the playbook. So you're not going to play fully until you know everything. And granted, that's okay. To me, that's okay to do that with a second-round wide receiver. When you spend the number 10 overall pick on a guy that has as much talent as Garrett Wilson does, I do not care if he does not know his player assignments. I don't care if he knows the whole playbook. You need to, He needs to be in there for at least 85% of the offensive snaps. Because as you saw, I mean, like you said, he had 14 targets. I guarantee you he was open on half of those plays. Half of those pass plays he was open. Uh, he he just is – he's dynamic. I'm comfortable with saying that he is already the Jets' best weapon. And that's some really saying something because Elijah Moore, uh, who, you know, had a decent game but it seems to be a little bit overshadowed uh, in the first couple, couple games so far. Uh, and Elijah Moore, who proved to be really dynamic last year too. Garrett Wilson, there's just something different about it when he has the ball in his hands. You feel like he he has the big playability to score on every single every single time he t- touches the ball, really. And I, like I said, I know that's crazy to say from someone that you've seen after two games, but I a lot of people, not just me, Dan, a lot of people on Twitter are saying, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily true, but I could see the comparison. A lot of people are getting Justin Jefferson vibes from Garrett Wilson. That's what DJ Reed said. Yeah, I, well, Reed I mean, he's on his team. Of course, he's not going to say, "Hey, uh, you know, I don't think he's that great." You didn't have to <laughs> compare him to Justin Jefferson, though. Yeah, but like, he's never played with Justin Jefferson. He's faced him. You know, he so yeah, that's he true. Have to come out and compare him. I. Uh, I, I think Brees Hall too is worth mentioning. We talked about him last week. A very slow start. Uh, Michael yes. Carter. Michael Carter had the better week last week. Uh, and this week, Brees Hall came out and ran for 50 yards and seven carries. Had a great run uh, early in the game. He he impressed. And Michael Carter had a, a a little bit of an off day. 23 rushing yards and seven carries. Not very efficient. Uh, but now you know you've gotten Brees Hall some confidence. You've built his confidence up. Uh, Michael Carter, obviously, is still going to make an impact. Uh, he still had like six or seven catches, didn't yeah, he? Five Michael catches. Carter? So that's the yeah. thing. You know, even if Brees Hall takes over the lead role in the backfield, Michael Carter is going to make an impact uh, as a pass catching back. Now you've got these two guys. Brees Hall's got his confidence built. Michael Carter had a great week one. You've got a bunch of weapons now suddenly getting involved. I think this is what, exactly what Joe Douglas wanted to do, is just have options. Now you've got Brees Hall had a good week. Michael Carter had a great week one. Garrett Wilson's kind of come into his zone. You mentioned Elijah Moore has kind of flown under the radar, but he does have, I think, 90 yards through two games. He's making an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Corey Davis is Corey making Davis had that catch yeah. today. Uh, we've got, you know, Conklin involved. He's got his issues, but he's involved. Uh, CJ Uzoma, I guess he was, he wasn't he was, playing. He was out. Right? Yeah, so, he was, he was know, injured today. So when he's healthy, he's involved. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I will say one 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 rebuttal that I have that kind of did annoy me today was I don't know if you saw it, but when Joe Flacco early in the game was running for his life because the entire Cleveland defense was after him, uh, he heaved up a ball deep down the field, and Davis was running across the was running across the field, and it really seemed like he kind of gave up on the play because if you see where the ball landed and you see where he was, it looked like if he would have ran full speed, it could have potentially been a really really big play for the Jets. So, I mean, that's just something really small, but you, you would like to see maximum effort on every single play. I understand that these guys are running routes at extreme speed every, what, 40 to 50 seconds. So I get, you know, and, and it also was like 60 yards down the field. But, you know, you would just like to see maximum effort from your highest paid wide receiver. So that's really the only thing I'll say. And, of course, I had to shut my mouth after that because, <laughs> you know, he caught a 66-yard touchdown or whatever, whatever it may be to – even bring the game back into discussion. Um, it, I, I can't, I, I'm not going to pull it up now, but I'm pretty sure right before Corey Davis caught that touchdown, I just absolutely trashed the Jets organization on Twitter and, and Robert Sala. And I was like, Oh, all gas, no breaks. I was like punting and, and I really don't want to nitpick here because this is probably not the review that people thought I was going to have of the Jets, but you have to be subjective and you have to look at the entire game. Yeah, coming back from a 13-point deficit with less than two minutes is great, but I think the game should have been a lot closer before that even was a discussion. So, you know, you're you're punting. The, the whole thing with the game was clock management. I mean, when the Browns ran a good drive, they were chewing up seven, eight minutes at a piece. They punted the ball away with, I think it was, what, four minutes left they punted it away? And the drive before that, I think Chubb scored his second touchdown. The drive before that was seven minutes. So you're potentially not going to see the football again. Down by one score, you're not going to see the football again. So I thought that that coaching decision was a little bit, you know, all gas, no breaks. Uh, it didn't really seem like it on that. And, you know, you're, you're a team that has talent, but you're not proven. You got to have some balls every once in a while. So I, I think Robert Sala likes to put a kind of like a front for the media. But at the same time, if you look at his coaching decisions during the game, looks a little bit different. But if you if you really want to sum it up, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the comeback, really. If you're listening to this, you know exactly what happened. I mean, it was just incredible. It's actually funny, Dan. I'll, I'll tell you what I was doing. But I was at, you know, we're, we're in the process of of moving, essentially. So we were going through her closet during throughout the entire game. So she she laid down. I was we were watching in her room. She laid down um, and turned over. She's not really the biggest football fan. She knows that the Jets suck, so there's no reason for her to watch it. I can't blame her. So uh, Chubb scored the touchdown. They were up. Cade York missed the extra point, which was huge, by the way. Thirty two seventeen. So I'm like, all right, this game is over. We were going to go take the dog for a walk. But then the next, like, and next thing I know, 30 seconds later, Corey Davis is running for a 66-yard touchdown. So I'm like, all right, I might as well see if they could attempt to even come close to getting the onside kick. So she's sleeping, so I'm, I'm being quiet. So I'm like, all right, all right, Corey Davis, nice, you know, nice, I'm talking to myself like a crazy person. <laughs> and then I see the the onside kick recovery, and I'm like, hmm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like getting hyped. I'm like, there's no way. And then I'm thinking about trying to like play myself down. I'm like, yeah, well, this is going to end in a typical Jets fashion where Joe Flacco throws an interception on the first play and the game is over. And then they start driving it. And I, I think they did a masterful job really of kind of, um, you know, throwing the ball short, getting exactly what they needed, not taking big chances because there was plenty of time left on the clock. 
I think they did a really, really great job there. And then, you know, I see Joe Flacco drop back 22 seconds left, hits Garrett Wilson over the middle. I didn't make a noise because I was going to scream. I was, I was going to, I was going to scream like a little girl. Then I got up and I started jumping in play. I was like doing like, I didn't know what I was doing. It was such a a euphoric feeling that I had no idea. Like my body was just doing random. Like I was like convulsing almost. It was insane. And that's my Super Bowl. We're not going to get another feeling like this this year, Dan. We have to enjoy it. When we see what the Jets do to us. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude, you have to do this in week two. I, you know what? I don't even care. I don't even care. This is a great (laughs) feeling. It's this is. The thought of this comeback even seeping into my mind after Corey Davis scored that touchdown, I was like, you're an idiot. I'm like, this will never happen. This is something that happens to like the Chiefs or like the Cincinnati Bengals, teams that are actually good. I'm like, this is yeah, not going to happen. I said, usually this happens to us. Usually we're on the other end yeah, of this. Exactly. Usually we're the ones up 30 to 17. If you remember that Raiders game, it's not the exact score, but that Raiders game from two years ago when, oh, God. Uh, when Henry Ruggs scored at the end and Greg Williams got himself fired. Uh, usually we're on the end, usually we're on that end of this. Uh, you think you got to give a lot of credit uh, to Mike Lafleur? You know, listen, all credit to Joe Flacco. But if you can get these kind of numbers, this kind of performance out of Joe Flacco, you you need some credit as an offensive coordinator. Mike Lafleur had it going today. He figured out a lot of what wasn't working in Week One. Yeah, uh, I think next week's going to be very tough against the Bengals. I, you know, I, I told you we're going to lose forty-five to ten. I think That's it's probably right. going to be like last year, a revenge game for last year's Mike White <laughs> victory. Uh, and I think the Bengals are going to be. I mean, look, I don't think Joe Burrow goes zero and three. I don't think he'll allow that to happen. Uh, so I, I think it. it it's not going to be like Mike LaFleur who's got it figured out and Joe Flacco's elite again and he's going to come out and beat the Bengals by 15 next week. I, I think it's a more of a short-term celebration. Uh, yeah. But for when Zach Wilson comes back, you got to feel really good about where this the direction this offense is heading, even if not not everything is uh, all figured out. Absolutely. The last couple of things I want to say about this, the only thing that I'd like to see from Mike, Mike LaFleur, who I want to give a ton of credit to because I kind of trashed him last week, kind of the same narrative. Throwing the ball for if you count the fake punt, which I almost had a heart attack. I'm like, oh my god, the Jets actually did something uh, outside the box. So they threw the ball 45 times. They kind of abandoned the run. I'd really, really like to see the Jets establish the run because when they did get consistent carries strung together, they did get big chunk yardage plays. And I like the way that, like, if you remember Brees Hall's first carry of the game, I like the way that they got him in motion. They got him with a full head of steam. I think he took his first carry for nine yards across the formation. I like that. I like uh, doing, you know, you don't have to run inside zone every single time. So I like the creativity. I'd like to see a little bit more balance. I know towards the end of the game, probably 10 or 15 of those throws came in the last, like, two minutes. So I get the numbers might be a little skewed, but they did kind of abandon the run a little bit. And also what was the, la- when was the last time that a Jets quarterback threw for 300 yards in back-to-back games? I, has that ever even happened? <laughs> it's a little, I feel like it's a little unfair after he threw 59 passes last game to have to call that a hey, hey, yard game. It still counts. It does. It still counts. <laughs> and I, I do not have the answer for you, but I feel like it's been a while. I, it, I don't even it, think when Ryan Fitzpatrick had his best season, I don't even think he he did that. Uh, I, Darnold Darnold had a really strong finish to his rookie year. I, I when they blew a lead to the Packers and they blew a lead to the Texans. I wonder if he did it back then. Um, but it's it's not something that you see very often from the Jets. Yeah. So I I picked the Jets to win in the Pickem. So ninety four percent of people who play Pickem did not agree with that. 
So I started off the week 2-0. I'm pretty sure Safe Dan went for the Cleveland Browns. I did, although I had the, the Jets covering because I figured this game would be something like 17-13 yeah. and not this crazy Joe Flacco 300-yard shootout. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I get half credit. But yes. No, I you get not, no credit. Man. I, I did not pick the Jets, and I don't think it's a bad thing that I didn't pick the Jets. I yeah, it's not. There was no reason to pick them, and the fact that I didn't pick them makes the win a lot more fun. Uh, that and the fact that even though I kind of just said that this was also my lock of the week and the fact that even if the Jets didn't score a game winning touchdown, it actually still covered because it was six. Right. So the Jets, so either way I was winning that one, but the fact that they won, it made it that much, that much sweeter. So I am one to know in my lock of the week picks. And I, that was the most ballsy lock of the week pick that you could probably make. Probably the, the, the more ballsy one out of this week's slate was Jacksonville over in Indianapolis, and no one was going to pick that. So um, credit to me. Uh, I, I appreciate myself for believing in myself on that one. So uh, moving on to the next game on the uh, Pick'em slate, we had the Detroit Lions and the Washington Commanders. And, uh, well, this one was really a ta- this, this I feel like the Lions Carson Wentz this game almost, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well. You know, Carson Wentz, speaking of Carson Wentz, he had another one of those games where he, for some reason, for half the game, he looks abysmal, like the worst starter in the NFL. Uh, and then for another portion of the game, he looks like he's a legitimate franchise quarterback. Uh, the issue today, he didn't do it for long enough. The Lions were just better. I, I This is kind of what I expected from the Lions offense. They have a really solid offense, strong offensive line, um, no, you know, they, they've got Amon Ross St. Brown, who looks like a legitimate number one receiver. Yeah. DeAndre Swift had another 50-yard run today. Jared Goff looked good. I think he threw for four touchdowns. Yes, he did. Uh, this is kind of what I expected from these Lions this year. They scored 36. The defense had some major issues at different times. Uh, but they scored enough to outscore a bad team, or at least a team I don't think is really much of a contender. Uh, give them credit. They Listen, they tried to blow it. They, they tried to do it. But they didn't. So you know, maybe these lines are different. You know, Dan, I don't like I don't like your your narrative here on on these Detroit Lions. I mean, you, you're being really mean to them. <laughs> this is a listen. They're not going to play great defense. They don't really have that much talent in the secondary. Really, the offense is where they make their bread and butter. And I mean, today was definitely on this way. This is a, a Commanders defense that's not top 10, but it's also not bottom 10. So we're sitting like the middle of the pack and they, they really had their way with them. Honestly. I mean, (laughs) you know, Deandre, Deandre Swift had one of the craziest touchdowns I've ever seen as well on when he caught that and just juked out the entire defense. They let a wide receiver run for 50 yards as well, you know, on a 50 yard run. I'm pretty sure Amon Ross St. Brown had 68 rushing yards to go along with like a hundred and X amount of receiving yards. 16 yards through the air. And two touchdowns. Dude, he's been a fantasy saint for me the first two weeks of the season. I, I I love it so much. But, I mean, there's some real positives to take away. And I think the biggest positive that not a lot of people are going to take away when you look at the scoreline is that Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in his second career game. And I know the first one was pretty much a coverage sack. But those – listen, Sam Cosme and um, – I'm trying to blank on the other – the other Charles tackle. Leno. Charles Leno. Were two – Seemingly very highly graded tackles last year, 
And he made mincemeat out of whoever he was lining up against. I mean, he was a problem all game. But we're talking about if he was lining up on, on the right side, we're talking about he's going up against Charles Leno, who was a top eight graded left tackle last year. That's pretty significant in your second career game, making mincemeat out of someone that was had a, a, a PFF grade over 80, which seemingly is like impossible to get. So I think that's a huge positive. The energy just feels different about this Detroit Lions team. I think Dan Campbell has really, really gotten to them. This was a game that as soon as I saw it on the slate, I was like, I don't know why I would be picking against the Detroit Lions because they showed a lot of heart. And yeah, granted, their defense looked like the best kind of Swiss cheese that you can get. Sure. You know, it wasn't great in week one, and it really wasn't that great in week two either. But, you know, this is a feisty team that has a lot of offensive weapons. And that's I'm, I'm I'm really happy for them. I hope that they gain the confidence, and I hope that the Detroit Lions are a team that I can look at and I go, oh, I will consider picking them at basically almost every week. So I, I think there's a lot of positives to take from this. Jared Goff, 256 yards, four touchdowns. What are, Dan, what have I said? What yeah. have I said in previous weeks? No, you're completely right. When he's listen, he's not going to be the guy who leads an offense, but he's going to be a guy where if he has the right pieces around him, uh, he's going to really he's going to look good. He did it's exactly what he did with the Rams, uh, and right now yeah. he's got the pieces around him and he looks good. That's all they need. And they don't have Jameson. They don't have Jameson Williams yet. They don't have Jameson Williams. I'm very excited for him to come back, maybe mid year. Uh, and they've got it. They've got an easy. I'm just taking a look at their schedule because I really do think they're going to be a team that's at least in the mix down the stretch which is uh, crazy if, if they are in the mix down the stretch uh week 15 against the jets week 16 hey. against the panthers uh <laughs> and week 17 against the bears they, they finished with the packers but who knows is is aaron Rodgers sitting that week you know is it jordan love that's a so three I, and one or four and oh stretch honestly if, if they're playing Jameson williams going too i yeah I, I really do think that the lions should have high hopes right now They've got the uh, the Vikings next week. I think they can win that. I don't think they do. I probably won't pick them. Uh, but they beat the Vikings last year. I think it's at least winnable. Uh, and then the the Seahawks, the Patriots. You know, it's those are winnable those, games. Those are winnable games right now. They have a better offense than both of those teams. Definitely, definitely. That's definitely the, the only thing that's going to be their Achilles heel. Like it's not even a doubt that they've got a better offense than like yeah. this team, that team. They're good. Yeah, they're, and, they're and at least it, good enough. You look at how clean the offensive line kept Jared Goff today as well. I mean, we've talked about this, I think, a couple episodes ago. Detroit has a has a top – I would go as far as saying a top six offensive line in football when everyone is healthy and everyone is 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 gelled together. You know, you got you got some real um, pro bowlers in there, Frank Ragnow, Taylor Decker. You know, you think Panay Sewell as well. They, they, got, they got great pieces on that offensive line. Um, there's just a lot to like about about this Detroit Lions team, and especially since they're kind of like the lovable losers. But the lovable losers really aren't losers anymore. That's the thing. Like they they they're up for the challenge, definitely. So um, on the flip side, I don't really hate this loss for the Commanders either, though. To be honest with you, I, I know that this was really a tale of two halves. It was twenty two to nothing or twenty two to seven at halftime, whatever it was, and then you know Carson Wentz made the comeback. I, I like the flashes that I've seen in the first two weeks from, from Carson Wentz. We're kind of getting a glimpse of the old Philadelphia Eagles version of Carson Wentz. Do I think that he's a long-term solution in Washington? I really don't think so. But I think that he is serviceable enough to the point where this season he could keep them in the playoff mix throughout the entire year. 
Yeah, I think he can Jared Goff it and convince them to keep him another year. I mean, look, yeah. if they go seven and ten, they're really not going to have a choice unless somebody says, "I want to go to Washington." They're not going to be able to draft. That, Nobody's going to say that. So they're not going to be able to draft a guy that high, even in a good quarterback draft. Uh, so you know, he could play his way into even if the jury's out on him. He can get a Jared Goff type of agreement and say, look, we're going to bring you back for another year as our quarterback, and then we'll go from there. Uh, I like what, what I'm seeing from Jahan Dotson, too. He's uh, yeah. he scored another touchdown this week. Uh, I think he's adding him to the offense and now having like three legitimate weapons between McLaurin and Curtis Samuel through the, in the passing game uh, is very helpful for this offense. Their yeah. offense showed more today than, uh, than the Buccaneers and Saints, who I think we're moving on to next, right? Yeah, uh, before we move on to those games, uh, I did pick the Detroit Lions. I know you picked the Detroit Lions as yes, well, I right? And that was, it's I mean, this is worse from here. This, this one, yeah, this one o'clock slate was not kind to us, <laughs> that's for sure. But uh, the next matchup was was this twenty to ten scoreline does not tell the story oh. about how putrid this game was. It was disgusting. It was some of the listen. If you like defensive football, this was the game for you. But honestly, if you like defensive football. I don't even think that you would like this game. This game was just, it wasn't even so much defense. It was more of just poor offensive execution for the most part. Yeah, I think I think last year's shutout of the Bucks by the Saints was more like great defense. Like, you know, Dennis Allen drew up a, a phenomenal game last year. Cameron Jordan was excellent. Uh, they, you know, they covered the receivers well last year, even though the Bucks were very depleted. Today was just mistake after mistake. And on the Saints end, uh, you, you can't, I mean, you you can't totally get upset with them. Jameis Winston apparently has four fractures in his back. Alvin Kamara didn't play. Um, I am a little frustrated with them. You know, the three interceptions was excessive. Uh, you know, yeah. if you have four fractures in your back, maybe you shouldn't be throwing completely downfield, uh, <laughs> which is what he did on that first Jamel Dean interception. That probably should yeah. happen. Yeah, he really uh, screwed me, to be honest with you, too. I mean, I don't like to bring fantasy into this because it just makes me sound <laughs> salty. But I was playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, and they only had, like, eight points through, through like, three quarters. And I was like, all right, this is fine. And then, you know, Jamel Dean, two interceptions. I'm like, all right, whatever. That's just two extra points. And then the Mike Edwards. Am I the only one that thinks that Mike Edwards, every time he intercepts the ball, always runs it back for a touchdown? I feel like he, he had three picks. pop up a lot, right? Like, yeah. in these pick sixes. I, Every time. I, I mean, like, I saw that and I was like, well, I'm done for. But anyway, I mean, you're definitely right. Like, there's no reason for Jameis Winston to be attempting to throw the ball 60 yards downfield if, you know, he's got 18 fractures in his back. And, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to say one thing. I, I'm not really impressed at all with not only Tom Brady, but just the way that the offense has looked. It's, it's sloppy. I understand that they've had some injuries to the offensive line. Losing Ryan Jensen does not help. You know, I, I, I completely get that. But this is not Tom Brady. This is like Jim Grady that we're seeing uh, through the first two weeks. And isn't it just a testament to not only how how much of a winner Tom Brady is, but how lucky he is in his career that he is probably off to the first the worst two-game stretch to start a season in his career, and he's still 2-0. Like, yeah, isn't I'll, give you, I'll give you the second one. I'll give you the luck. I don't know if he's uh, if his winning mentality is the reason why they're two and zero. I think it's more I, it, it helps and the it injuries helps. because they face two injured quarterbacks now. If you want to count Dak Prescott's injury, uh, yeah, it does help. I mean, if you had like Brock Osweiler in there, I don't think they'd be. <laughs> I, I, I I'm with you. I don't think they'd be winning. Um, but the, the I feel like 
part of me has kept wondering, and I, I don't want to say this, I'm going to say it out loud, but I don't want to say it out loud because I know Brady's going to like prove me wrong and throw five touchdowns next week. But, you know, could this possibly be kind of like Brett Favre's final year when he retired, quote unquote, retired after 2009? He had a great 2009. They almost went to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. He said, let me do it again. I'll come back in 2010. Uh, and he was just terrible, throwing interceptions all over, uh, constantly injured. The Vikings ended up firing their coach. That was the year that the the, the roof literally caved in. Uh, at oh, the, yeah, the Metrodome. The Metrodome yeah. in Minnesota. Uh, it was just, it was kind of like the football gods telling him, okay, that, that was one, one unretirement too many. I've kind of wondered if, if that's the direction we're going here with Brady. I know last week he said that he woke up and his body was hurting uh, more than usual after the first game, even though he didn't really get hit that much in that first yeah. game. Um, you know, he's got some, some issues at home. We don't even need to get into that. The Bucks yeah. have well, injuries. The offensive line is broken down a bit. But look, they're they're two and zero. The, yeah. So far, he, he's you can't say he's. I've been right about him. Not that I predicted that they were going to have a rough year, but you can't say that the idea that this is going to be some disastrous year has come true. They're winning. I do think. I do think though. I, I know we don't want to get into it, and I'm I'm not going to get into it to that point. But I do think that this does have a serious like impact on him because I, I mean there it's been no secret that there has been some marital issues between. Giselle and Tom Brady. And I mean, I got to be honest with you. I love watching Tom Brady play football, but guy, you don't need to come back for your eighth Super Bowl attempt. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I go home. <laughs> but I mean, not only that, I don't know if you've seen what he's looked like over the past like three weeks, but his he's very physical thin. appearance has not looked great either. He's very, he's very, he's oddly thin. And it, at first I saw his face at like, I think the first time he made the appearance after his, a hiatus from camp. He was oddly tan. <laughs> his face was oddly well. His face is very thin. He was different color, uh, but then you see it's really his whole he body. A different color. Yeah, it's really his whole body though that's thinned down, and it's not thinned down like, hey, look, you're in better shape now. It's kind of like, why are you that thin? It's because uh, he's old. It, that's what I think it is. I don't think it's like he's sick or something. I think he's just older, and you have to wonder like. We're two games in. He said his body really hurt after last week's game. You know, luckily for him today, he didn't get obliterated like he did last yeah. year against the Saints. Uh, but you have to wonder, can he hold up for 20 games? Because that's probably what it's going to take to get to the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't think they're going to have a bye unless they really run through the NFC South. Uh, which they, they could. Which they could, but they, but could. they, they play a first-place schedule. They're probably going to lose to some AFC teams. You know, I, I see 12 and 5, 11 and 6 more realistic right now. Is that, does he have the body structure to hold up over that long at 45? I don't know. He looks like Bojangles the last couple of weeks. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's going to hold up. <laughs> yeah, but, but listen, who am I to doubt him? He's 2 and 0. So we'll see what, we'll see what he does next time. We'll revisit this next time he loses. Who knows when it, when it <laughs> when, he, when, when he appears next week and, and he loses another 20 pounds. But, uh, I did pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on this one. So, uh, well, who did you pick on this? I picked the New Orleans Saints to beat them a fifth time in the regular season. This was looking very promising for me. I started off the week 4-0 with, with picking the Lions and the Jets. I mean, it was only up from here, but but I would be wrong because here's where I run into my first problem. If not for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints, this was by far the ugliest game of the week. Oh, yeah. This was just – it was – I mean – I gotta lean in close to the mic and just say one thing because it is such an it is such a wild statement that that you're gonna agree. You ready for this? The New York Giants are two and zero, and New York football is three and one. 
Uh, it's, Florida one, if you want to count the Bills. Well, I that's would, real. That's real New York football, honestly. But you know, these are the kind of games that. Okay, let let me say this because I, I think what you said first is completely accurate. Uh, this was a game that came down to the wire, uh, and it was not watchable. It, it really was. <laughs> it was hard to watch, even for a game that was close at the end. I think if, if this was a standalone game in prime time, nobody would really be feeling so great about this, even though it came down to the end. But these are the kind of games that Joe Judge would not win last year. Maybe, maybe in 2020 he would win when they had that great defense. These games he would not win last year. You, you could case in point all those games that both games against Washington that they ended up losing at the end last year. They lost games like this last year. Mm-hmm. This year they still look like they have a new identity under Brian Dable. So I'm, I'm happy for them. Yeah. I, I mean, I am too. I'm, I'm one of those guys that I usually take my New York rivalries very seriously, but I feel like out of all the New York rivalries, I mean, the giants and the jets, just because they've been so barren when it comes to success for the last 10 plus years, it's kind of like a bromance. If you think about it more than a rivalry where it's like, Hey, we suck too. Like, you know, but well, let's just suck together. So I, I don't hate seeing the Giants win, especially because the majority of the people I know are Giant fans. So like I do like seeing them celebrate the team wins. But like we just said with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, bottom line, the New York Giants are 2-0. and out. Now, is this team a playoff team? Absolutely fucking not. Is this a team that might even win three or four more games this year? That's honestly up for discussion as well. We don't know. but. It's nice to see them start 2-0. I mean, the, the defense has looked very promising the last the first two weeks of the season. To hold – they held Derrick Henry – did they hold Derrick Henry under 100 rushing yards in week 82 one? 82 yards, yeah. 82 yards. I mean, besides for a 50-whatever-yard scamper by McCaffrey, they basically held him in check as well. So I'm really liking – that, and that was a big problem for them last year. They were getting cut up like you know, Christmas ham on the on – the, <laughs> on the ground so you know that's a that's a big improvement that they made they didn't really make many acquisitions as well so i'm assuming that this is just a, you know a change in defensive scheme a change in culture brian dable is just a guy that i want to have a beer with at the bar like he just seems like a really really cool down-to-earth guy and he's a player coach but he seems like the type of guy that i don't want to cross you know how like joe judge was trying to be all buddy buddy and you know pat Shermer was like a, a guy that went to sleep at eight o'clock at night because you know he had to get his eight hours of sleep. Like Brian Dable is that type of guy that it's like, all right, let's go fucking party. But then also he'll be like, listen, I'll bash your head in if you don't if you don't do something right. I love the energy and the the attitude that he's bringing to the New York Giants because this is very refreshing. Now, is it reflecting on the football field? Not so much. Same thing. I mean, you know, we were thinking to ourselves, oh my god, Saquon Barkley is back. What a week one that he had. Granted, the Carolina Panthers do have a very good rush defense. He didn't look too great. But he still played okay. I mean, any positive yards for Saquon Barkley at this point is is going to be a positive every week. So he had 72 yards on the ground, another positive. It's just things to look forward to, things to build up. I don't know who their opponent is next week. I'll be Cowboys. honest with you. The Cowboys? Monday Night Football. Yo, I'm picking the Giants. I'm just I'm going to be straight it's, up with you. I'm picking they're the at Giants. Home too. It's, it's actually like a, a shockingly competitive game. Part of it is Dak Prescott's injury. I'm picking the Giants. Honestly, even if Dak Prescott was playing, I'm still picking the Giants. It's going to be it, – it, I'm glad that they get a primetime game because you know they yeah. don't have many. I mean, I'm assuming they don't have many. I, I don't know I don't know why they would. This is a team <laughs> that it, – it's almost like they've got – before they melt down or at least flame out, 
they got the primetime game at just the right time uh, yeah. for a lot of people to be really interested in it. I think it's going to be a very good game. And yes, I agree with you. I think it's winnable because they can play that brand of football where they kind of rely on their defense and they kind of rely on Saquon Barkley and they can win that way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, can you imagine, can you imagine the Giants starting off three and after? Well, that's what I was thinking when you said, are they a playoff team? Definitely not. Well, you know, what if they go and beat the Cowboys and they're three and and now you've got an extra playoff team in the, yeah. in the NFC and there's seven teams, only nine don't make it. You know, are they going to, could they end up in that top seven yeah. if they start three and Also, uh, you know, on the flip side for the Carolina Panthers, it's been two ugly weeks for Baker Mayfield. It hasn't been minus a 75 yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson last week. He's has he turned the ball over at, at an, at an exceptional rate like he was doing in, in Cleveland? No, but it's not, it's, it, it's not inspiring football. I'm not getting a Baker Mayfield circa 2018 or, or 2020 from from this like it, it's just not working out for me right now i mean it's only two games new offense but he's got more weapons now than he did before so the fact that he's kind of regressing in that in that way not really looking so promising i'm all out on matt rule i they are just not they're not well coached <laughs> they should be better than this they're not well coached i understand like things look a lot different if Cade york doesn't make the 58 yard field goal last week they're one and one they can take it uh, but but Matt Rule is not a very good leader right now. Whatever no, they're doing, not. it's not working. It's not smooth football. Today's game was just, again, hard to watch. I didn't see a ton of it. Uh, but from what I did see, I wish I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I really I think Matt Rule has a good shot. I would have said Cliff Kingsbury if they didn't come back today. I think Matt yeah. Rule's got a good shot to be the first coach fired, whether it's mid-year, late in the year, end of the year. Uh, it's it's they're gonna they're nearing the end. This is not going well. Even yeah, I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna have to agree team. with you on that one. I mean, if Cliff, if clicks clicks if Cliff Kingsbury wasn't so handsome, I'd say that he was the first coach fired. But Matt Rule is not as handsome as Cliff Kingsbury, and not only that, I, Matt Rule does not like see like this is gonna sound weird, but I, I'm gonna make a very weird comparison here. But you see how like, <laughs> and the only reason I'm 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 putting them together is because they're both really handsome. But you see how like San Francisco. Whenever Jimmy Garoppolo enters a game, they rally around him. Oh, this Cliff is Kingsbury, a win like today, I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona, regardless of who they're playing next week, comes out and wins and rallies around their coach and rallies around their dwarf midget quarterback. You know, <laughs> I and Matt Rule is a guy that I look at and he just looks like a math teacher. I don't, I don't want to play inspiring football for him. And he doesn't really seem like a guy that kind of gives out that, like, yeah, granted, yeah, he fixed Temple. He fixed Baylor. Two different things, way two different things. You're comparing apples to, you know, the worst kind of oranges that you could possibly imagine. It's just two completely different things. I, I think Matt Rule's best option is in college. Defensively, though, take him. defensively, though, he's I, – I know one right off the bat in Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> defensively, there's no issues there. Uh, you know. The 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 rush defense they've looked great. Pass defense they're number one through two weeks, so they've looked really, really granted. I mean they they've played Jacoby Brissett and Daniel Jones, but they do have a lot of dogs on that on that defense. So if they could just get an adequate amount of points, if Baker Mayfield could be a little bit more than a game manager, they can squeeze out some of these these close games. And we're just not seeing it yet. But 
I'm hoping as the year goes along, we'll see it. I did pick the Carolina Panthers, so this is my first loss of the week. I also picked the Carolina Panthers. Wonderful. Moving on to another ugly game. (laughs) Have you realized that there's, it's like, it's like this week is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where it's like, there was like a few really amazing games. And then just a few games where you're like, Oh God, this is just terrible. Yeah. This was, (laughs) this was not a good one. And it just boils down to this. Mitchell Trubisky is already not the answer a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know I've said inspiring football like 47 times in the last 10 minutes, but it gets, I don't think it gets as uninspiring as watching Mitchell Trubisky try and hit George Pickens on a post route. I I don't think it gets as uninspiring as that. So many Steelers fans said when I ranked them and you know, whether the ranking is correct or not, I don't think this part's true that, you know, Oh, Ben Roethlisberger was a shell of himself the last two years. Trubisky is actually a decent quarterback. We're we're better. We're better off offensively now. Uh-huh. No. No. <laughs> no. And Roethlisberger was not good last year. Like In 2020, he actually wasn't bad until the end when he broke down. Last year, he wasn't any good. Trubisky's not any better. He's not. What, what did people think? That like the, he was some outstanding quarterback that Matt Nagy was holding back in Chicago? No. Why did we think that he was going to be the guy who comes out and like – you know, I understand they didn't think he was going to throw four touchdowns a game or something like this, especially yeah. against the Patriots. Uh, but compared to what Tua did to them last week, why did we think? Why did anybody think that he was going to come out and be some kind of sizable upgrade over Big Ben? He's not. Yeah, and I mean, you you look at it, and last week they played a middling Cincinnati defense, and he, he didn't play. I mean, he played okay until uh, what? Who who left the game? I know Najee Harris left the game briefly, but uh, the wide receiver left the game, didn't he? It was was it Deontay Johnson who left briefly too? I don't know. Someone, I don't remember who it was, but I know that. Oh, it, it was when Najee Harris left the game. Their offense became one dimensional, and they started to stack the box. And you look, and you're like, "Well, I'm not." Mitchell Trubisky is not going to beat me through the air. He is not going to win a football game through the air. And you know. Bill Belichick might not have a lot of talent on his defense, but there's one thing that he knows how to coach, and that is defense. You don't think that he knew that exactly, that it's like if you take Najee Harris essentially out of the game, and I mean, they basically did. He had 49 rushing yards and 40 receiving yards. For a guy from Najee Harris's um, talent level, that's essentially taking him out of the game. You force Mitchell Trubisky to beat you through the air, you're going to win almost every time. Yeah. yeah, he'll have one of those games where he throws for a, th- a fluke 300 yard game. You know, he's not Nathan Peterman out there, but, but, you know, against a Bill Belichick team, I, I feel like Bill Belichick just like always gets, he always gets his defense up to play against a shitty quarterback. Don't you always just like, he always just has that like, yeah, like we definitely have a chance to win. Like, let's make a fool out of this guy. And I'm not saying that's exactly what they did this week, but you know, he didn't have the best numbers. He didn't have terrible numbers, but it's just it's just bad football. You can't tell me that at halftime they couldn't have thrown Kenny Pickett in there. You cannot tell me that Mitchell Trubisky is better than Kenny Pickett. You can't. You can't tell me. No, I, I, I think that. I think Kenny Pickett's the better option, but it's not a. It would not be a very Mike Tomlin thing to make a change at halftime. Uh, and I don't, I don't think he's going to make a change this week. But if I were him, I'd consider it because Mitchell Trubisky's, Trubisky's on a short enough. leash, man. Well, you he better be on a short leash. He hasn't shown enough through two weeks. I'd at least want to see what I have in Pickett. I know that they could do that later in the year, but why not do it when you have a chance to win some games? You need I, your offense yeah. right now, yeah. Without TJ Watt, 
they it, they showed it today. I know the defense had some, you know, played pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't give them a ton of credit. The Patriots' mm-hmm. offense is still out of whack. I think it's there terrible. Was quote, there was a quote from Jacoby Myers uh, before the game that like sometimes he doesn't know what the plan is, something like that. It didn't sound good, uh, and I still don't believe in it. But you, you're going to need your offense to win some games, uh, especially you're facing the Browns next week. You know, you're going to you Tough might want to score 23 points or something like that. Why not throw Kenny Pickett in there and try to get a spark? And then when TJ Watt comes back, look, if Pickett's abysmal, then put, put Trubisky back in there and say, look, we'll give you a shot when it's your time. Uh, I, I think I'd probably like to go with Kenny Pickett if I were him, if I were Mike Tomlin one of these games. Do I think he'll do it? Probably not because he's nah. Mike Tomlin. They're, they're, they're a pretty stubborn organization. Um, but but no, I, I'm just – I'm out on Trubisky. I'm still out on the Patriots offense. Uh, and, you know, that's the reason why I don't – I don't even have that much to say about this game because it's kind of one that didn't have anything interesting going on. It, it, it essentially what we've been saying the last couple of weeks is essentially what happened. The the New England Patriots offense did not look good. Mitchell Trubisky did not look good. It what we thought was going to happen was exactly what happened on those sides of the ball. I mean, I did pick the Pittsburgh Steelers to win. I'm sure you did too. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I and you know. The offense did look better for New England. That's all I'll really say. I mean, you know, they got Jacoby Myers involved more. I'm pretty sure he had nine catches, 95 yards. Nelson Aguilar had a really, really great touchdown catch as well. He had over 100 yards. So things were looking slightly better. Damian Harris was pretty efficient on the ground as well. Um, That's really it. I guess they just got it. But they just – they're just so gross. It's yeah, just like in, in the end, it's probably appropriate that both of these teams are one and one. The Steelers yeah. being two and zero oh wouldn't it wouldn't fit what we've it, seen yeah, in them. So definitely, far. definitely not. It's so funny that they beat they yeah. beat the defending AFC champions and then they lose to the to the New England Patriots. But yeah, so this starts a rough stretch here. Next game, I really don't even want to talk about it because I I will say that it is a, a tad skewed because. Michael Pittman didn't play and really behind Michael Pittman it's it's like 50 feet of crap for the for the Indianapolis Colts and I mean he's that important to the game plan now with Matt Ryan under center that it it really showed I mean I'm pretty sure he had under 200 passing yards he had three interceptions I mean two of those were really when the game was way out of reach anyway but Matt Ryan already through two weeks I thought you add decent weapons you add a top three running back and you add a top five offensive line to Matt Ryan and we'll get some of the best football that we've ever seen from Matt Ryan. And through two weeks, it's been some of the worst football that we've ever seen from Matt Ryan. It has been atrocious. I'll give him a a smidge of a pass just because really besides for Pittman, they didn't have too much on offense. They stacked the box. They basically neutralized a Jonathan Taylor, even with a Hall of Fame-esque quarterback, I guess, if you would say, in Matt Ryan, or who has Hall of Fame numbers at least, um, under center, you stack the box and you take away his best option, which is Jonathan Taylor, it, it's going to be tough for him to win the game. And I mean, hats off to Jacksonville. They looked decent in week one. They looked great this week. I mean... Um, Trevor Lawrence had the best game of his life, 22 for 25, 235, two touchdowns. He played extremely well. Uh, James Robinson, who is only nine months out from a torn Achilles, is just yeah. carving it up on the ground, which is crazy. It, firing on all cylinders. The defense looked great. Josh Allen had two sacks. Trayvon Walker had another great game after his great 
uh, debut. I mean, things are definitely looking up in Jacksonville. This is a big win, and I don't know what it is about Indianapolis and Jacksonville. They just cannot win. This is, what, the third straight year that they lost in Jacksonville? I think it goes back seven years or something, but I heard That's something like crazy. that. crazy. There's no way. I mean, I'm sure there is, but <laughs> well, I'm sure. If you go back four or five years, you had, some, you had a couple of decent Jaguars years, the AFC Championship yeah, year. Yeah, uh, But I, I think you're seeing a very well-coached Jaguars team, which is not something we've been able to say for a while. I mean, Doug, Doug Peterson is a, a Super Bowl-winning coach. It's easy to forget that. I think he fell yeah. out of favor in Philadelphia because they had – issues with Carson Wentz and his confidence and Peterson had issues with uh, Howie Roseman. And I understand it was time for them to move on. Doug Peterson is a legitimately solid coach. I'm not saying this is some kind of playoff team. I'm not even saying they win seven games or anything like that, Uh, but they're playing sound football and they're winning the games that they look like they should win. They're not, you know, last, last week, last week they could have beaten the commanders. You know, I understand it. The commanders are probably a little more talented, um, so it's not really a loss I blame them for. Uh, this week was not a game they were expected to win, but it is a home game against a division rival uh, who they've historically been very good against, and they came out and delivered. I think that all the credit goes to Doug Peterson. Uh, their defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell, he he comes from the uh, from the Bruce Arians tree. Yeah. He worked under Bruce Arians for a while. It's working so far. I mean, uh, I know last week, less than last week, there were a lot of issues against Carson Wentz. And they come out this week and shut out the Colts. They do everything correct against Jonathan Taylor to limit him. Uh, you're right. They had some issues. The Colts had some issues with uh, Michael Pittman being out. They don't have any other receivers. I think Ashton Doolin was their top receiver. Yeah, five for they, 79. You know, that's, that's rough. That's a problem. And, uh, not, and where's, not for the Jaguars. It's where's Paris Campbell, dude? I mean, th- this is a second-round wide receiver. He's, he's been injured for two years. That, where's this T.Y. Hilton? round wide receiver that we're, we're waiting to see. I mean, he's got all the he's got all the physical attributes. He's like 6'4", 220 pounds. He runs like the wind. I just never hear anything about Paris Campbell. It's it's. Yeah. I think it's. I honestly think it's already time to push the panic button in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, I they've got issues is. on the offensive line too. Yeah, left tackle I, I believe is a problem. Well, you got Matt. Smith um, is you got right Matt tackle. Pryor as the left tackle, yeah. so that's not ideal. Yeah, Braden Smith oh. is at right tackle. Uh, left yeah. tackle is is still a big issue. It has been really ever since Anthony Costanza retired. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a big concern about the Colts coming into this year was uh, Shaq Leonard being out, at least, you know, indefinitely. I think he's he missed both of these games. Yeah. That's not the problem. I, I think maybe they'd be better defensively. But you can't, you know, they just got shut out by Jacksonville. They have much bigger problems. Uh, yeah. And I think while I thought they were the best team in the AFC, uh, in the AFC South, I should say, all of a sudden – all of a sudden, you know, Jeffrey Simmons facing this offensive line is going to be a problem. Uh, you you have to face the Jags and Josh Allen again. That's Jacksonville's Josh Allen, of course. Yes. Uh, the, the Texans don't scare me, but they've already tied them once. Those aren't two free wins because they yeah, already missed a chance. The Texans don't scare me, but they tied with them, and yeah. they just took the Denver Broncos to the brink. So, And you know who the Colts face next week? Oh. Chiefs. Oh, forget it. Yeah, no, it's looking oh, like 0-3. It. You never it's know. We've seen some crazy things today. And our next game is might be the craziest, but yeah. So I don't want to call them zero three yet, but it's it's not looking good. Yeah. So I picked. I mean, I picked the Indianapolis Colts, and uh, I'm sure you did too. Yeah, that that was easy for me. I picked Jacksonville last week, and they didn't deliver. Yeah, I thought the Colts. I. Thought the Colts had their bounce back week in them. Now but, I will say this though: if I knew, I was like, because I was at my football game, so I was checking my phone, like I was just looking through the updates. So I, w- I wasn't like really looking. All I saw was Michael Pittman, and then I saw news. I didn't realize that he was out. I probably 
in all seriousness, I know obviously hindsight's 2020. I think I would have changed my pick, honestly, because I was really sure. feeling it with the upsets this week. You just say sure, <laughs> safe Dan. Come on. Um, but no, I, I would well, I would have considered it, I'll say, but I really don't know if I would have changed it. But I definitely would have gave it some thought. But next game. I think, honestly, unfortunately has to take the cake over the craziest game of the week from Cleveland and New York. I mean, I'm going to say this. Another tale of two games, essentially. I mean, I thought this game was way, way out of reach. And the only reason why I thought Tua was putting up the numbers he was is because they were forced to throw the ball because they were down by by so much at what point what they were down 28 to 7 right at some I mean, point and they were down 35 14 at the start of the fourth quarter there you go 35 14 i have to say it tua put the team on his back and he performed he delivered now granted for a, a, a little bit of that game he was without tyreek hill i know he was questionable to return at some point because he was dealing with some cramps didn't even matter is there a possibility that Jalen Waddle is the is the best receiver on this team, like, or at least has the best rapport with Tua? Jalen Waddle's got. I mean, he's he's got these ridiculous moves every week to shake off defenders to get extra yardage. He's so talented. But this is exactly what they what they what they wanted coming when they traded for Tyreek Hill. It's exactly what they wanted. Tyreek Hill, even though even though you could make the case that Jalen Waddle's got the better connection, Tyreek Hill's got the 190 yards today, 190 yeah. yards and two touchdowns, uh, including that 60-yard game-tying touchdown. Uh, you know, he put up put up the peace sign. He had uh, he was faster than everybody. This is still classic Tyreek Hill, no matter the quarterback. Um, now, I want to say I don't, I don't mean to sound like oh yeah, this is what we expected from these two. This is the first time in NFL history that two receivers on the same team in the same game had 170 yards and two touchdowns. First yeah, I was going to, I was going to bring that up. I saw that you tweeted that before. Yeah. It, it, I mean, this is legitimately history. Nobody's done that before two teammates, 170 yards and two touchdowns each. They were playing out of their mind today. And that's not to take away from Tua at all. He was, he was putting it where he was, where he was supposed to, especially while the team was down, you yeah. know, in, in these high pressure situations on the road. Uh, against a, a pretty, you know, that listen, it's it's a solid Ravens defense. The secondary was really disappointing today. I think yeah. uh, I think Marlon Humphrey dealt with an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Williams did have an interception. Kyle Hamilton had a really rough day, I believe. Yeah. Um, but still, this isn't like a, a Ravens secondary that, when they're healthy, is can easily be pushed over. We saw that last week with Flacco. You can't do that. Tua Tua came out and performed in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean. I, I appreciate his resiliency as well because there were two pretty bad interceptions that he threw. I mean, you know, the first one, there was nothing you could really do tipped. I mean, it was it was behind the receiver. It wasn't the greatest pass. Second one wasn't that great either. Uh, you know, shook it off. Didn't even let him didn't even let it phase him throughout the rest of the game. He proceeded to throw six touchdowns, 467 yards through the air. I mean, <laughs> just to be a son of a bitch, I have to say that a couple of those long touchdowns that he threw, those passes were behind Tyreek Hill. I don't want to hear any shit about it. If you watch the replay of those long touchdowns, those he had to slow down for those balls, 100%. But, I, think, I think there was one to Waddle, too, where he had to kind of go back and grab it. Yeah, no, that's... You know, that's if he's not throwing it to the other team, we'll take it. I know he did that twice, but if he's no. not throwing it to the other team consistently, 
you, you, you just take it and you run. Just to be a bastard, I had to say it. But yeah. uh, two no, things. That, perfect. But. No. Three things I want to take away from this game. And I'll, I want your opinion on all three. I'll say all of them at once. Got from it. the Miami Dolphins side, two things. Uh, the run game needs to be addressed. They, they need to figure something out there because they're going to run into a team that is really great against the pass, and they're going to run into some serious problems. I'm going to say that. And there's a lot of teams in the AFC that have some great secondaries. Um, two, I forgot what I was going to say about the other thing for Miami, but um, Baltimore, they need to pay Lamar Jackson. That's They need to pay Lamar Jackson. I mean – Perfect quarterback rating through, I think it was like like two and a half or three quarters, 79-yard touchdown run. He was their leading rusher. He he played out of his mind. Uh, I mean, Rashad Bateman played great as well, which is nice to see, by the way, that you know it looks like they have a legitimate number one wide receiver now, which is nice. And um, oh yeah, I remember what I wanted to say about Baltimore. The second thing was um you can't hide behind behind big names. Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Peters when he's healthy. Um, and Marlon Humphrey. That's a great secondary, name-wise. That there is some serious issues in the secondary that were compounded by today's game. You have 467 yards through the air. I really don't care who's playing. You have some secondary issues, and that's a, and they need to address the secondary issues there. I, I don't remember what the second thing I was going to say about the Miami Dolphins was, but uh, I just carry on. Sorry, I, I'd probably <laughs> lose track if you gave me a fourth thing. Uh, but you know, to go to go in reverse order here, I the secondary got gashed today. This was not like, oh, Patrick Mahomes came in and beat us. You know, he's really good. We just we got beat <laughs> a little bit by him. You know, you let I, I I like I'm a big fan of Tua, but you let him come in and throw for 470 yards, basically in six touchdowns, and mostly in in late in the game when all you had to do was get a couple stops and the game is over. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a problem. I think. I'm kind of waiting on Marlon Humphrey to return to elite form because he really was, I call him elite back in yeah. 2020. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of wondering where that is. I know last year he dealt with an injury, but he's got to start. He's got to step up. Uh, Kyle yeah. Hamilton, you know, we don't know what to expect. He'll, he'll go through some growing pains. Marcus Williams had a nice interception. There's, there's things to build off. Even Marcus Peters just came back or is still coming back. Um, it's going to take time, but yeah, this was a major regression from last week. And if you don't get it fixed soon, you're going to start losing some critical games against, you know, Joe Burrow, yeah, anyone else in the AFC really, besides the Browns and Steelers that you face. Uh, so um, you mentioned the Dolphins running game. I, I mentioned last week, I was, I'm shocked that they really haven't been able to do much about it because this is Mike McDaniel. He comes from the Shanahan tree where you just plug in running backs left and right. And they're going to, they're going to average four or five yards a carry. No yeah. matter what, you know, it's a system that is supposed to benefit the running back, benefit the run game. And they brought in a bunch of running backs, too, in the offseason. Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, Sony Michelle, who they ended up having to cut. Uh, Miles Gaskin is still there. And they haven't really figured it out yet. And Raheem Mostert had a couple decent runs that helped them out. Uh, but yeah. really, this was all about the passing game. And you're right, the, the offense can't be so one-dimensional. The fact that Mike McDaniel comes from a system where the run game has thrived before. It does give me a little confidence, though, that if anybody can change this from being so one-dimensional, he can, because he's been part of an offense that can do it. Uh, yeah. My third point, I do remember it, about paying <laughs> Lamar Jackson. I'm going to keep it simple. Yes. Give him his money. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, yeah, definitely alarming things from the Baltimore Ravens side, and nothing really but positives 
on the Miami Dolphins side. But I did pick the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I, I thought about this one long and hard, but I ended up on the Ravens at home. Maybe a situation where if it was in Miami, I would have went with Miami. But credit to the Dolphins. Moving on, the next game on the slate here that we have is the LA Rams and the Atlanta Falcons. And there's some serious issues in LA. Yeah, I mean, they went up 28 to 3 and they couldn't hold it. They held, <laughs> it, they, number. <laughs> they held the lead long enough. Yes, 28 to 3 against the Falcons. Uh, you know, funny coincidence. But the Falcons actually made their own Patriots run of their own. They started yeah. coming back. Uh, yeah. and they had a shot at the end, too, before Jalen Ramsey uh, ended up with an interception to Mariota. What a jerk. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned Jalen Ramsey because I knew that this was going to be a problem, and I did state this a couple times in, like, season previews and stuff on uh, my YouTube channel and stuff. But I did say that after they lost Darius Williams, there was no effort in replacing the CB2. And yeah. it, it, uh, who's their CB2? Troy Hill? They, at this they point? brought back Troy Hill, who he was great there in 2020. But, you know, he kind of looked like a a system corner, if you can call mm-hmm. him that, because he went to Cleveland and didn't work out. And 2020 was the Brandon Staley year. Brandon yeah. Staley is no longer there. So no guarantee that he's going to play like that again. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just goes deeper than that, honestly. I think that I, – I honestly think – on the offensive side of the ball, I might sound crazy. I think that they need Odell Beckham on the offensive side. I think that they just need to get the signing over with, you know, whatever it is. If he's not at full strength, whatever it may be. But I, I have been hearing rumblings that, you know, he, once he's at full strength or whatever, he'll be he'll be an L.A. Ram again. But I think that that offense desperately needs some. Isn't it crazy to say that an offense desperately needs an influx of some talent when they have Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup on on the team? But really, that's it. The next leading receiver is like Brandon Scarawack or something. Like, it's just hurt. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good. And this does not look like a team that just won the Super Bowl last year. And this is also a team that made made a couple of that – like. They signed Allen Robinson. They signed freaking um, what's his name from Bobby Seattle, Wagner. Bobby, Bobby Wagner. Wagner. That's what I'm saying. You signed a Hall of Fame linebacker too, who was still re- basically in the prime of his career. I mean, I'm not. It, it. I don't think a lot of people said that the LA Rams were primed to repeat. I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, they have their their share of issues, and I think the secondary. I think finding another corner besides Ramsey is the bigger issue. Because I think you can say, look, um, there is a scenario where, okay, Allen Robinson scored a touchdown today. You're going to get him more involved. Van Jefferson gets healthy and maybe you sign Odell Beckham. And now all of a sudden your offensive issues aren't so significant. Yeah. Uh, Although the offensive line still has got some work to do. Um, But if you don't get the the defensive issues figured out, then you have a problem, especially facing some of these uh, higher, you know, the the better offenses of the NFC uh, and the AFC which we saw against Buffalo was a problem. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I agree with you. Even though Odell's not going to play until November, I think you got to try to get something done. He tweeted last week. He mentioned that the Bills are most likely the team coming out of the AFC. And we've heard that the Bills are interested in him. Mm. So all of a sudden you've got to compete with the Bills. And do you know where he was today? Where? He was in New Orleans for Bucks and Saints. Saints tried to sign oh, him last Jarvis year. And the Bucks have Tom yeah. Brady. And the Bucks have some receiver issues. You know, these are, I think, all three of those teams, the Bills, Saints, and Bucks, are going to be teams in the mix for him in October and November if you let them get healthy. 
So yeah, they they may want to work on that. Uh, I do want to I want to give a shout out to Drake London, another really good game for the Falcons, yeah. along with Garrett Wilson. He's looking like a, a great pick for Atlanta. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate that this Atlanta team is zero two after the off of basically after the performances that they've given the first two weeks. You know, it, it's but this is what we expected. It, it's it's unfortunate to see that they're zero and two, but we did expect them to be zero and two. They're just playing like a better loser than than what we thought they were going to be. But um, yeah, I, I I picked the Rams in this game. I'm sure you did too. But it was I, I was getting a little sweaty there. I was getting a little sweaty yeah. there at the end. But um, yeah, I picked the Rams. I think they have a lot of work to do. I think Atlanta just keep playing football. Just keep playing how you're playing because you're going to run into a couple wins. There's yeah. absolutely going to run into a couple wins. Um, Next game, really the only talking point because this was an atrocity on the offensive side of the ball for Seattle. Um, Trey Lance is out for the season. Yeah, we we talked a lot last week about, I think we debated a bit about what happens if Trey Lance struggles. When does Kyle Shanahan go to Jimmy G? Well, I told you he was going to go to Jimmy G. (laughs) What happened? There's no choice now. There's no choice. (laughs) This is Jimmy Garoppolo's team for the next 15 games. It's hard to believe that after the, this entire offseason where it looked like he was going to be traded and then when he wasn't traded, it looked like he'd be released, uh, that not only was he kept, he's we're back to square one. He's the starter just like the last five years uh, of this 49ers team. And dude, they're going to have to live with it. Dude, when you're handsome, it just – I mean, it, it, is, it is a known fact that good-looking people are more successful. You don't think Trey and- Lance is handsome? No, I don't think <laughs> I don't think he's handsome, and not only that, I don't think he even shines Jimmy Garoppolo's shoes in terms of ham- handsomeness. None of none of us do. It's just the way that we you're have right. to live yeah, life. Right. But but yeah, I, I I'm gonna say that I think that this 49ers team is far and away in better hands with Jimmy Garoppolo than it is Trey Lance. That's just how I feel. That's just how I feel right now. I I was not. Con- I mean, last week was kind of fluky. It was pouring rain. You know, anyone can win the rain. You know, they maybe they threw Chicago a bone, you know, who knows. But I I just feel safer with this team with Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback. And the reason why is because I feel like this team is, especially in a, a reduced NFC where the talent level isn't as high as it's been in years prior, I feel like the San Francisco 49ers team could really be a dark horse to make the Super Bowl. You know, they came one game away from in the Super Bowl last year with Jimmy G as quarterback. I feel like they have gotten better, especially through the draft and everything this year. Why not run it back? I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is the better option right now for the team that's around them to make a Super Bowl push than Trey Lance. You know, I I think he might be better if you want to win the division or reach the playoffs. Well, that's ideal. But but which which is (laughs) ideal. But if you get into the playoffs, I, I am worried about how he limits their ceiling. I mean, Trey Lance mm-hmm. does raise their ceiling. He can be a playmaker. And they've got playmakers on the offense, too, with Debo Samuel. He never got a chance to play with George Kittle, who missed the first two games. Uh, I, I do. I, I feel like this is going to limit their ceiling, just like their ceiling was limited in the NFC Championship game when they faced Stafford. You know, you need, if you're going to get through the NFC in the playoffs, even though the offenses aren't what they might have used to been used to be, you still need your defense to show up in a huge way, like it did against Green Bay last year when they won in the snow uh, at Lambeau. You, you're still going to have to rely on that defense to get through. If you had Trey Lance, you could say, hey, maybe we can put some pressure on our offense. 
uh, and make some plays happen, even if he's prone to a couple turnovers. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about their ceiling now after this. Yeah, I do think they're a playoff team. I mean, we'll, we'll, they're one and one. You know, they look they look like a playoff team today. They played exactly like they should have against Seattle after last week's disappointment. This is a typical Jimmy Garoppolo win. It was. He doesn't but, throw for a touchdown. He doesn't throw any interceptions, and he rushes for a one-yard touchdown. This is a, exactly a Jimmy Garoppolo win for the San Francisco 49ers. The question is, can you do it against great teams? I think they can. I don't know. I think they can. Um, I did pick the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, I, I picked the 49ers, luckily. <laughs> Although I, I said at the end of last week's episode that I – if I'd have to apologize if Geno Smith came out and beat the Broncos, and he very much did. So. Yeah, you know, we we really clowned – well, I really clowned uh, Geno Smith, and I'm sitting here. We're texting back and forth, and I'm like, son of a bitch, Geno Smith pulled <laughs> out the victory. You want to talk about a Super Bowl. That is Seattle Super Bowl in week one right there, beating Russell Wilson. They, can, they could lose every game for the rest of the season. They're like, well, we beat Russell Wilson, who's returned to Seattle. So, but – Moving on to the next game, and ah, I, I got to be honest with you, this betting expert that I'm a co-host of a podcast with is 0-2 on his lock of the week so far this this year. What's going on? I make one pick, and it is the most absurd pick of all time. And, well, I mean, it was really just luck for me. But, you know, I, I want to know you're 0-2, Dan. Well, what is going in, on with you, buddy? In my defense, I was with you on the Jets and the the Jets plus six and a half. I was not with you on the Jets. Dan, do I have to show you the graphic? But it, well, that doesn't mean I had no other picks for the week. Of course, I, I do. I have to show the text. But no, the uh, the the Bengals did not deliver today, and even though they they showed up late in the game to a degree, it wasn't enough to win. Even though they showed up late in the game, it just wasn't enough. They can't they can't play like that anymore. I had the Bengals minus seven. Uh, I thought they could win by a touchdown or more. You know, I figure if they win by a touchdown, just take the push, call it a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they couldn't even do that. They they had to fight just to get to overtime, and they ended up not getting to overtime because they got stopped, uh, and they got stopped by Trevon Diggs, who came up with the tackle, and Brett Maher, who somehow found his way back to Dallas as their kicker, uh, kicked a 50-yard field goal to win it for the Cowboys. So, you know, credit to Cooper Rush. He's now 2-0 and as the the – Cowboys starter and not against bad teams either. They beat the Vikings last year when they weren't picked to win. They yeah. beat the Bengals this year. They weren't picked to win. So I give credit to Cooper Rush. I give credit to the to the uh, defense led by Dan Quinn, who called a very good game today. But the the Bengals are very disappointing. I, they shouldn't be playing like this. And I know Joe Burrow has got it. He's not even going to sleep tonight because he's not the type who's just going to sit on 0-2 and it's, be content with it. It's the offensive line. It That's Which basically what it's going to be much done. better. Which is supposed to be much better, you know. You add out what? Who did they? They added. Um, they, had Lyle Ted, they added um, Ted Karras, uh, Alex Kappa, Lyle Collins. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying to a team that already had. Well, I mean, Jackson Carmen's not that great, but you know, you add, they had Jonah Williams, who played really, really well in his first full season. They were looking like a top ten or top twelve offensive line unit, and they've been granted they've played two of the best pass rushing teams in the NFL. The, the first two weeks in Pittsburgh and Dallas, but hey, you're just going to have to go up against the, the the best to see if you're really that good, and they are not that good. I don't know. I, I know it does take time for offensive lines to gel together, so that could be a possibility as well. Where you know they're just not they're not gelled yet. But my God, you got to get gelled quick. I mean, thank yeah. God that they have a tune-up game against the Jets next week because 
Or do they? Yeah, no, they do. Come on, Dad. Let's not be ridiculous. Uh, but you know, it, it it's just it's not good, and I really think that's it. I mean, of course, when your quarterback's getting sacked six, seven, eight times, it's going to stall drives. You're not going to score as many points. I mean, they did show that it was a remarkable drive to to tie the game. I yeah. mean, nineteen play drive that ate up almost nine minutes of the clock. It was a remarkable drive, and um, you know they. They looked better, honestly, this week than they did last week. So I guess we're getting – this has to be the last week of the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, not even trying to sound funny, they literally have to come out and absolutely obliterate the Jets for me to feel good about the Cincinnati Bengals team. Like, they have to come out, and it, it can't even be a game. They have to score, like, 40 or 50 points for me to for me to feel okay about the Cincinnati team again going forward. They, they continue to look great late in the game. I, I know today they ended up blowing it. The offense did not. I mean, the offense had a chance to deliver on that final drive. All they needed was a field goal. They didn't come through. Uh, but that drive before that, the touchdown drive, was executed to perfection. I love yeah. uh, Zach Taylor making the call on fourth and six to go for it. It was a good play call. They got the pass off. Wasn't wasn't um, dangerous at all. Um, but the, the, the call to go for it on fourth and six was great because they would have needed a touchdown either way. If they kicked the field goal, yeah. they, a touchdown would have won that. A touchdown, an extra point would have put them in the lead the next time out. They would have needed a stop. But if you score the touchdown here, yes, you need the two-point conversion, but you don't need a stop. And even if you do miss the two-point conversion, you can still get a stop. It was a great decision to go for it. Uh, the execution was perfect, and the execution of the rest of the drive was great. Uh, they, they had, an, they had a, a great uh, final drive last week, too, against the Steelers in regulation. But this team just isn't playing well enough in the beginning of games. This is You're supposed to be a lot better than this. You're not supposed to rest on your talent uh, and come out at the end of the game and just play catch-up. This is proof that it doesn't usually work that way. It doesn't work out when you're – you know, what did they – what was he sacked? Like five times early on? I think it was like, it was like seven was times total, he was sacked throughout the entire game. game. You got, you, you've, everybody's got to play better. The offensive line has to be better. Uh, you know, there, but even even so, there's no reason that Burrow can't be connecting with Chase and Higgins at the end of the uh, at the beginning of the game, like he is at the end of the game. It feels yeah, well, like something's off. Yeah, at the beginning of these games. T. Higgins wasn't even targeted in the first half. Yeah, he had zero catches, and and you know, Jamar Chase wasn't that great. Um, this is probably honestly his worst game as a pro <laughs> today. What do you have? Four catches for like 50 yards. That's really saying something. If that's yeah, your, like, it says worst a lot game. about him. But but yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's not what you expect. Yeah, and I and I mean, I'm, I don't really have anything to say on the Dallas Cowboys side. I mean, like you said, good for Cooper Rush. This doesn't change how I feel about them. I still think that they're going to. I thought they were going to lose this game and pretty much every game until Dak Prescott is back. Uh, I, I still, even when Dak Prescott is back, I still don't believe that this is a playoff team. I think that they lack a lot of talent. This is the worst Dallas Cowboys team we've seen in the last five plus years. Uh, Zeke did look pretty decent on the ground today, which was, which was nice, I guess. Um, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not really super high on them. I mean, this is a massive victory for them. I mean, one and one is a hell of a lot better than zero and two. That's for sure. But especially yeah, I, in a division like the NFC. Yeah. Too, yeah. So. I think but, next week really defines their season, at least, yeah. you know, for, for a while. Yeah. If, if they go know. out and they lose to, to the, the Giants, then they're they're in a bad but spot. But on the other hand, if you start, if you go two and zero without Dak Prescott, I know people like to hate on Dak Prescott. He's much better than Cooper Rush. They need yeah, to win these games without him. They're going to have a much better shot to win when he's on the field. 
if you can go 2-0 and without him, I understand he won't be back the next week, or at least I think they're saying he could be, but I, I don't think he's going to be only missing two games. If you can go 2-1 and one without Dak Prescott, huge, massive. Yeah, you're in decent shape, yeah, absolutely. There's a chance to do it. I, I Again, I, I'm kind of with you. I feel like I'm leaning toward picking the Giants and just going for the chaos scenario of a 3-0 and o Giants start. But if you can, if you can manage to go two and one, here we go. I make one good pick with the Jets, and this guy's copying me already. <laughs> fucking unbelievable! Come on, the Jets next week, I dare you. Don't don't think I won't. I will. <laughs> but, but you know that game that game is going to be massive for them if they can start if they can go two and zero oh in their first two without Dak, huge. But this is a good start. It's it's everything they needed to do, and credit to Dan Quinn for the, the defensive game he called. Yeah. Um, and yes, as Absolutely. everybody knows, I picked the Bengals, if you couldn't tell. I, I did pick the Bengals as well. That was also Dan's lock of the week, which uh, guys 0-2. But uh, anyway, it's okay. When, when I inevitably pick the, pick the Jets the Jets next week and they lose by 50, you could clown me for that. It's okay. Um, moving on, the next game, ugh, ugly. So ugly. I mean – Russell Wilson came I think I saw at one point he was like four of fourteen for like thirty-eight yards or something. Like yeah, he was, he not... was six of twenty at one point. Oh my god. Yeah. I didn't that's well, I mean, I turned it off because I was like, all right, they're losing six to three. I was like, this is just terrible. I saw uh, a couple funny memes on Twitter. It was like we went from let Russ cook to Russ's cooked or something. So <laughs> like that. Like it was really funny. I mean, just this this can't feel good. This cannot feel like a good victory. If you're the Denver Broncos, especially after losing, what did they score? 16, they scored 16 points in back-to-back weeks. That's got to be, that's got to never happen before. That's such a weird number to score at two times, yeah, two weeks in a row. Odd. That's odd. But I mean, you score 16 points against the Seattle Seahawks who just got obliterated by the most handsome man who's ever graced a football field. Then you score 16 points against the Houston Texans. Now, you know, Houston Texans don't have the worst defense in the world, but they're a team that is just filled with a bunch of stopgap players. And Russell Wilson could not figure out the stopgap players. He looked atrocious throwing the ball. He got saved by a fourth string tight end. That's the only reason why Denver won this game. He really won this game off of that touchdown and the fact that Denver's defense is very good. I mean, this is this is not an inspiring win for them. I couldn't feel good about this. And even the, the Denver Broncos Twitter account, Posted the final score and they go, a win is a win. That's what they yeah, said. That's like, how you have to take it. That's yeah, I, exactly. Nathaniel Hackett was getting a lot of criticism again. I think they were they were booing him today. Good. They should. Uh, you know, he made some more questionable decisions, and obviously there's a there's a ways to go with him figuring out the landscape uh, of being an NFL head coach. Um, it's again, like you said, for the Cowboys though, one and one looks a lot better than zero oh and two, and it just so happens that the Texans were on their schedule for this week. They took care of business, even though it wasn't impressive. So there's still plenty of opportunities uh, for Hackett to figure it out, for Russell Wilson to figure it out. But, yeah, this is exactly what you don't want from your offense. And my big issue is they continue to not let Javante Williams uh, be their their clear number one running back. He is getting more carries than Melvin Gordon, but it's not by Which much. he should. And he's outplaying <laughs> him. He's outplaying him, and yet they treat Melvin Gordon like uh, you know a, a compliment to him, and not the clear number two. They kind of um, have them side by side. It doesn't it make any sense way. to me. I, and and throughout this ba- throughout the entire offseason, where we saw Javante Williams basically be the only running back 
And then like three weeks before the season, they signed Melvin Gordon and you're like, son of a bitch. You're like, are you serious? Like he does get way too many touches. I do agree with you there. I mean, he, he does a decent job of when he does get the ball, but like Javante Williams, especially in the past game is so much more explosive. Like just, just let him be your, your bell cow. I don't understand. Yeah. Melvin Gordon's not bad by any means. And I, he's somebody I want on my team, but Javante Williams, you have this day where they had six points through like what three quarters almost. Yeah, uh, it was rough. The passing game was not working. Javante Williams was the only thing that was clicking for the offense, and they insisted on giving it to Melvin Gordon half the time. Javante yeah. Williams could have 150 yards a game if they were just giving the ball. Yeah, you know, that's all they have to do is, is give it to him, let him run 20 to 22 times, let him take on the Jonathan Taylor role. I know Russell Wilson may not be happy with it because he wanted to be more involved. He didn't want he didn't like the run based offense in Seattle. Uh, but if you've got a guy as talented as Javante Williams and he's proving that he's the best part of the offense right now, you yeah. gotta let him run it. So hopefully, if if nothing else, hopefully Nathaniel Hackett figures that part out. Yeah, I mean he's he's made some awful decisions through the first couple of weeks. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it on air, and I'll only say that that was the probably besides for the Brandon Staley timeout call last year was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. And it's unfortunate that it came in his first game as a professional head coach, because my Lord, did that make any sense whatsoever? It did not. We don't, you don't even have to answer that. I know it didn't make any sense whatsoever, but hopefully he sharpens up and he gets better. I mean, granted, you know, you're going through growing pains as a, as a coach. It's much different than being an offensive coordinator. But like we said, with, you know, with the Cowboys, a win is a win. One and one looks better than zero and two, and you're going to need every win that you could possibly get in this division if you want to even come close to being a playoff team out of this division. So, I did pick the Denver Broncos. I'm, I'm sure you did as well. Yes, I did. Okay, moving on to uh, the heartbreak of the day was the Raiders, who were up at one point like twenty to nothing or something like that over the Arizona Cardinals. And I told Dan, I went to go watch some MasterChef. Uh, I came back an hour and a half later and Arizona won the game in overtime, 29 to 23. And I had to go back and watch the highlights and see what the hell actually happened. I I can't believe that they let them do that. I, I, at home too, in Vegas, the, the crowd was dead silent at the end of it. I mean, no, like, I mean, it was, I almost missed that game winning uh, fumble recovery by Byron Murphy because everybody was silent. I guess that's good for the Raiders that they packed it with their fans in there. But I mean, how how can you, uh, as a fan base, I mean, how can you even like wake up the next morning knowing that your team was up twenty nothing uh, against Kyler Murray? The Cleveland Browns and see how they'll deal with it tomorrow morning. That's all they got to <laughs> do. No, no. <laughs> what did now? What did you call Kyler Murray earlier? Oh. Uh, um something something a dwarf midget yeah there you go he that you let him uh scramble his way all the way back to a to a win after trailing 20 nothing uh the speaking of coaches that have a lot to work out josh mcdaniels cannot let that happen uh patrick graham too he's a very good defensive coordinator who retired away from the giants uh a lot goes on him too you know this wasn't a situation like like last week where Derek carr was throwing three interceptions Derek Carr didn't throw any interceptions. Derek Carr was not the problem. No, the defense gave this one away, and I know, I know that the offense literally gave it away in overtime, but it shouldn't have gotten to that point. You shouldn't have let them score twenty-three points. 
there were some crazy highlights toward the end. I know Kyler Murray ran for something like 84 yards total. Like yeah, he ran really for, fun. it was just a two point conversion, but in terms of total yards uh, run, it ended up being like 84.8 yards. Uh, and so, the play lasted like, the play lasted like 15 seconds too. Yeah, it was like yeah. a painfully long play. And then he waited for the right time and he, you know, credit to him. He, he ran it in. Uh, and then on that last touchdown, they needed the two point conversion. They got it. And that was it. They went to overtime and a, a Byron Murphy fumble recovery of Hunter Renfro ended up winning it. I mean, I, that lead slipped away. You're right. It was, it was so quietly that that game went away. And part of it is because they were down eight uh, in the final seconds and they still managed to tie it up. But man, the Raiders, yeah. 0-2 in the AFC West. Done. With three teams ahead of them. Yeah, uh, you know, I, the one real thing that stood out to me was the whole Devontae Adams stat line, two catches, 12 yards, a touchdown, five targets. After he was um, targeted 17 times last week. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that Byron Murphy put the clamps on Devontae Adams or Marco Wilson. So I don't know what was happening there. Maybe they were trying to get the other guys more involved. Maybe they kind of just took their foot off the gas at that point and were like, okay, it's 20 to nothing. Like we don't really have to go balls to the wall and throw the ball to Devontae Adams. But that was a little bit strange for me. This is just a really tough pill to swallow if you're a LA, if you're a um, Las Vegas fan or just a player in general. This is a really bad loss. And this early in the season, this is the type of loss that could derail your entire season. Because you know, yeah. if you, if they wind up one game out of a of, of a playoff spot, you can come back to this and go, man, they gave up a twenty point lead to the Cardinals in basically the fourth quarter, and they lost, and that's what cost them a playoff spot. So you hate to think that far in advance, but you can't help but think that this is just an absolutely soul crushing defeat for the LA for the I keep calling them LA for the for the Las Vegas Raiders. And and here I was all ready to come on here and start just destroying the Arizona Cardinals, who I know both of us aren't really high. I was really excited to do that as well, too. They they impressed. I mean, I I guess it's September, so maybe we should have expected it. You know, they usually they're usually on the other end of this in December, uh, in January, when they ended up when they end up blowing their nearly blowing their playoff chances. Uh, But I, I, I give them credit. It's not perfect. Kyler Murray is still. He's still going through some issues. I think he had through an interception today. He only had one passing touchdown. But when you've got that kind of mobility, you can beat him both ways, and that's what he yeah. did today. So, you know, like you said before, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating this: one and one, a lot better than zero and two. Better than zero and two. The Cardinals are one and one. Arizona will gladly take it. You know, we go through this every year to where there's always that one team. That starts off 0-2 or 0-3, and then on ESPN the next day, they show that index of the probability of you making the playoffs from, you know, that your unfortunate position. And that's exactly what we're going to see tomorrow when you turn on ESPN and Stephen A. Smith is screaming into the microphone for some reason. Um, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see the the Raiders up there, and it's like, oh, well, teams have a, a, a 14.8% chance of making the playoffs if they start 0-2, like some stupid statistic. But... Um, yeah, it's just not good. And like you said, this is the toughest division in football. You start off 0-2. You know, the Chiefs are already 1-1. The Broncos are – I mean, sorry, the Chiefs are 2-0. The Chargers and the Broncos are 1-1. You're already two games out of the, the top of the division. Not a good start. I did pick the, the Raiders, by the way. I did too. Terrific. And actually, I just got the update for the final here for the Sunday night football game. Oh, absolute whooping. 
I mean, not really from the scoreline, but if you look at the stats, it wasn't particularly close. Uh, 27 to 10, the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears. I'm pretty sure Justin Fields only attempted like nine or 10 passes throughout the entire game. And Equimenia St. Brown was his like top receiver or something. Yeah, so, so Fields threw 11 and uh, his last one was an interception. Oh, terrific. Now, like if the Bears are winning most of the way, I'd say go for it, run the ball. But but the fact that uh, that they had him only throw nine times before – it was nine before that last drive uh, is is a little alarming. It shows they don't have a ton of confidence in him as a – Well, it's team. almost like they didn't surround him with any weapons. Well, in the they didn't. Either. They didn't. But he also ran the ball eight times, not efficiently, though he does have – he did have a touchdown run. Um, that was at the beginning of the game, so – yeah, they were up seven to three, I think it was. Yeah, and that was his touchdown run. Other than that, he didn't run the ball efficiently. Twenty yards on eight carries. David Montgomery had a very big bounce back game, though. So that's good for anyone who might have drafted him in two different fantasy leagues without <laughs> naming names. Uh, it's very good for anybody who might have done that. Oh, well, that's good to know. That's just <laughs> terrific. Um, Aaron Jones, big game, fifteen carries, 132 yards and a touchdown, three catches, thirty-eight yards and a touchdown. Nice. And 170 nice. yards total when you count through That's the year. So. You gotta love it, but um, yeah, I mean, Aaron Aaron Rodgers back to similar form. 19 of 25, 234, two touchdowns. His dominance of the Chicago Bears just continues. Um, yeah, I mean, I picked the Green Bay Packers. I mean, there was no other way that I was going to go about it because now this is when Aaron Rodgers' season really starts. Is after he gets the really bad game out of his system in Week One. Then he starts playing in week two. He's not used to the 17-game schedule yet. He's still playing 16 games. Yeah, this is the fourth preseason game. That was the this is actually week one this week. Yeah, so they'll be fine. You know, they'll be they'll be 16 and one now or something. You know, can I can I, can I close with a with a mini rant though? Please do. But, but everything you're saying is is reasonable, right? Everything about the Packers is reasonable. So why is it that so many people, when I posted my power rankings, oh, uh, updated power rankings after week one, uh, couldn't couldn't tolerate the idea that the Packers could be a top 10 team after week one? <laughs> Does nobody remember them losing 38 to three to the Saints last year? If you, listen, I understand bumping them down. I did bump them down. I bumped them down to fifth. And the only reason they weren't lower is because the Bengals were right there below them the Bengals couldn't be bumped up above them after what happened against the Steelers. Uh, similar teams were in that range uh, that, that just couldn't, the Chargers couldn't be, couldn't necessarily be bumped ahead of them. At least I didn't think so. Uh, why are, why were so many people upset at the idea that they could still be a top 10 team? If you did it last year when they lost 38 to three, you would have been wrong. If you put yeah. them, if you put them 11th, 12th, 13th, or some people seem to want them like at the bottom of the league, if you did that last year, you would have been wrong. And if somebody says to me, well, that was last year, not this year, you know, just because they won. Similar situation. Games, just because they won 13 games last year doesn't mean they will this year. I absolutely agree with you. But there's 16 games left. We're going to figure that out. And tonight was proof. They're not going to go out and lose to the Bears. I mean, I don't, think, I don't even think those people expected them to lose to the Bears. But they look like the Packers. Do you expect to see tonight? And they're going to be around fifth in my power rankings again on Tuesday. There's no reason for them not to be. So, you know, what I what I would say is let's give it time. And as Aaron Rodgers puts it so eloquently, relax. Everybody relax relax on the Packers. Even if they're not as good as last year, the people were nuclear about them being still a top ten team after week one. Let's all just relax, take it week by week. 
Now I would love to just end it right on there because that was so perfect. But I just want to mention, I just want to mention the other two games that are going on for some reason that there are two Monday night games this week. But um, I just want your picks for these two games. So I have between the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills, which is the first matchup. Uh, I do have the Buffalo Bills. I think that far and away after one week of football, they were clearly the best team in football. And until they prove me otherwise, I will always continue to pick them. And then the later matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles, tough call, honestly, but I'm going to ride the hot hand. and I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings again, uh, as I did in week one. Yeah, I, I have the Bills in the first game. I think it'll be a closer game than, than people think, even with a bunch of injuries uh, for the Titans. What really concerns me is Christian Fulton is out there, top corner. Mm. So, you know, St- Stephon Diggs is going to have a night. Uh, Gabriel Davis looks like he might not play either. So Stephon Diggs is really going to have a night. Uh, I think it'll be closer. The Titans always play them close. They actually beat them last year. But I do have the Bills winning. Um, Eagles and Vikings, probably the game I'm most excited about this week. This yeah. is going to be great. I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to um, wind up being 10-3. And this is <laughs> – hey, if it is, it's a close game. But, no, I don't think that's going to happen. This is a game, though, where if it was in Minnesota, I'd probably pick the Vikings. I really, really had a hard time deciding who to go with this week. I ended up on the Eagles. I think I think the Vikings, even though they're under a, a new regime right now, they've been so inconsistent in the past uh, that I can't really count on them saying, look – they were so good last week, so obviously they're going to build on it and come out this week and and you know beat an Eagles team that with the defense that's still a little questionable. It's easy to say that, um, but who knows if Kevin O'Connell is going to change that mentality that these Vikings have, where they they come out some weeks and look like an NFC contender, and then they come out some weeks and look like they're terrible. I think the I think the Eagles get it done at home. Um, I still have some questions about Jalen Hurts, but he showed enough in Week One uh, that I think they can definitely beat these Vikings. And I'm I'm hoping this is going to be a close game. I'm expecting a close game. I think the Eagles have so many weapons right now that I'm I'm going to pick them in a narrow one, maybe a shootout, but a narrow one. Okay. Listen, that's Owen to Danley Dan making that call right there. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you guys enjoyed a wild week two and a wild week two recap. Uh, Dan, I mean. I hope that we're back here again with with similar. First off, I hope we're back here again, and I'm wearing that Jets hat again. That would just be you might. I honestly might be in the hospital if that's the case. I might. Yeah, we might have to cancel the episode recording because I might be in the hospital after having a heart attack. You're but, telling me you wouldn't record it from the hospital? I mean, I would, but it just wouldn't be as enjoyable as this. But <laughs> well, not well for me. It would be enjoyable, but I'm hoping that we're back here again with a similarly high energy, crazy week of football. Yeah, no, this was – I've been looking forward to this. I mean, I look forward to our recaps anyway. I think last week we had a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, A crazy week one helped. I figured today would be a little more subdued. It really wasn't uh, <laughs> when you look at, at some of these games. But I was especially looking forward to tonight once the Jets pulled that out. Had to hear what you had to say about it. Uh, next week's going to tell us a lot too. We both kind of think the Bengals are going to go in there and cruise. I think week four might tell us even more when Zach Wilson comes back for the Jets. Uh, but – I think the phrase of the day is that one and one is better than zero and two because a few teams barely skated by and ended up at one and one. Uh, and yes, no matter how you win, one and one is much better than zero and two. So take that into next week. And that's it. That's and it. That's, that's it. daily Dan. I'm Parlay Pete. That's daily Dan. <laughs> and we'll see you in the next one.